you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Tuesday, April 14th, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, we have an actual smartphone launch event. Feels like old times. Google is apparently close to powering its devices with its own custom-designed silicon. Microsoft Teams is getting closer to Zoom in a good feature-wise way. An update on the venture capital funding scene. And new game ratings to alert people to loot boxes. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Would you look at this? An actual, factual smartphone launch event. OnePlus has debuted the $699 OnePlus 8 and the $899 OnePlus 8 Pro with high refresh 6.55-inch and 6.78-inch hole-punch screens, wireless charging, Wi-Fi 6, and an on-screen fingerprint reader. To be clear, these are clearly two phones, a high-end model and a low-end model, but both of them are intended to be solid mid-range sub-$1,000 smartphones. Quoting Anantech, the new OnePlus 8 Pro seems to be the company's most prestigious flagship device ever, including a new QHD Plus 120Hz display, a new generation camera sensor from Sony, along with interesting ultra-wide-angle and telephoto modules, the company's first-time adoption of wireless charging, all new features on top of the existing ones that made the OnePlus 7 Pro a great phone in 2019. The designs of the phones are iterative on last year's OnePlus 7 Pro aesthetics, with the big difference being in the front camera design choice and mechanism. The OnePlus 7 Pro was notable as it was amongst the more popular phones out there sporting a mechanical pop-up camera housing. It was an interesting solution to get to a bezel-less design in 2019. However, it also came with some larger drawbacks, most notably in terms of internal hardware design complexity as well as a big increase in the device's weight and lack of water resistance. The OnePlus 8 Pro does away with the mechanical front camera mechanism in favor of an in-screen hole cutout, a design choice that's been made quite popular over the last year and seemingly the standard for 2020 devices. Whilst I'm sure some people will be sad to see the pop-up camera go, I personally was never a fan of it given the increased bulk of the phone. In the new OnePlus 8 series, the company has been able to instead increase the battery capacities, which now go up to 4,510 mAh on the OnePlus 8 Pro and 4,300 mAh on the OnePlus 8. Add in more camera and bigger sensors and still reduce the weight of the phones by several grams, with the new OnePlus 8 Pro now coming in at 199 grams versus 207 grams for the 7 Pro, end quote. Indeed, the initial reviews are already out of embargo, and of the lower-end OnePlus 8, John Porter at The Verge says it has a great battery, solid performance overall, and the 90Hz display is great, but the camera could be a lot better. Of the high-end OnePlus 8 Pro, Dieter Bone says great build quality, superb screen, but again, the camera is gimmicky and the pictures are mediocre. Quoting from Dieter's conclusion, 
I don't know how they do it these days, but when I was in grade school, we didn't get letter grades. We got one of three boxes checked. Does not meet expectations, meets expectations, and exceeds expectations. The OnePlus 8 Pro meets expectations. That's not a knock, because my expectations were incredibly high already. At $900 to $1,000, OnePlus couldn't make a phone without a missing feature or two. Its main competition is the Samsung Galaxy S20 Plus, and that phone is often discounted to exactly the same price. So there's no more grading on a price curve for OnePlus anymore. But the OnePlus 8 Pro rose to meet those expectations. It has a screen that is at least as nice as what you can get on a Samsung Galaxy phone, if not better. It is fast, elegant, and does everything you'd expect a flagship to do. If you're in the market for a plus-sized Android phone, I think the choice between the Galaxy S20 Plus and the OnePlus 8 Pro is going to come down to personal preference, if not a coin toss, end quote. A few more big questions surrounding the whole Apple and Google coronavirus tracing efforts have been answered. Reps from both companies have confirmed that the contact tracing updates will only be for devices with iOS 13, for Apple phones, and Google says it will work with Android 6 or newer, updated via Google Play. And crucially, even though the API is open, both companies say they will only allow development by health authorities, quoting TechCrunch. This limited API use will be restricted in the same spirit that you restrict individual healthcare to licensed medical professionals, like physicians. In the same way, use of the API will be restricted only to authorized public health organizations as identified by whatever government is responsible for designating such entities for a given country or region. There could be conflict about what constitutes a legitimate public health agency in some cases, and even disagreements between national and state authorities, conceivably. So this sounds like it could be a place where friction might occur with Apple and Google on tricky footing as platform operators. Will any of the data from these apps be stored in a central database? Apple says the data is processed on a user's device, and that data is relayed through servers run by the health organizations across the world and will not be centralized. The tech giants said that because the data is decentralized, it's far more difficult for governments to conduct surveillance. Apple and Google admitted that no system is completely secure. It's a widely known concept in cybersecurity that nothing is unhackable. Servers can get breached and data can get lost. But in decentralizing the data, it makes it far more difficult for anyone with malicious intentions to access the data, they said, end quote. sort of a good news, bad news thing. Bloomberg is reporting that Apple's iPhone shipments in China rebounded in March, jumping 19% year over year to two and a half million units. However, at the same time, overall smartphone sales, including Android devices, fell around 22% to 21 million shipments. Quote, February, which was most impacted by government lockdown measures in China designed to curb the spread of the virus, saw iPhone shipments plunge more than 60% year-on-year as factories remained shut past the Lunar New Year holiday break. Apple's assembly plants in China, run mainly by Honhai Precision Industry, also known as Foxconn, slowly resumed operations through that month and into March. At the mega complex in Zhengzhou, known as iPhone City, more than 200,000 workers had returned to production lines as of late March, according to the local authorities' website. The factory shipped almost 300,000 iPhone units per day at that point, a similar output to its pre-coronavirus capacity, the authorities said, end quote. 
Sources are telling Axios that Google has made significant progress towards developing its own in-house processors that would power future Pixel smartphones as well as even Chromebooks. Obviously, this is an arm play, and obviously this would help Google keep pace with Apple's in-house silicon, while also dealing a significant further blow to Qualcomm. Quoting Axios, The chip, codenamed Whitechapel, was designed in cooperation with Samsung, whose state-of-the-art 5-nanometer technology would be used to manufacture the chips, according to a source familiar with Google's effort. Samsung also manufactures Apple's iPhone chips, as well as its own Exynos processors. In recent weeks, Google received its first working versions of the chip. However, the Google Design chips aren't expected to be ready to power Pixel phones until next year. Subsequent versions of Google's chip could power Chromebooks, but that's likely to be even further off. In addition to an 8-core ARM processor, Whitechapel will also include hardware optimized for Google's machine learning technology. A portion of its silicon will also be dedicated to improving the performance and always-on capabilities of Google Assistant, the source said." End quote. How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it and it's impossible for you to forget and do it for a hundred different sites and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have 1Password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1,000% for 1Password. I can't live without it. 1Password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, 1Password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password's award-winning password manager is trusted by millions of users and over 100,000 businesses from IBM to Slack. It beat out 40 other options to become Wirecutter's top pick for password managers. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at 1Password.com slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at 1Password.com slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to 1Password.com slash ride. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I use this, and you should too. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee, so get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Back on the Zoom beat, Zoom says that starting April 18th, the company will allow paying customers 
to opt into or opt out of specific data center locations. If you'll recall, some Zoom calls were being inadvertently routed through China, leading some companies and organizations to cease use of Zoom for security reasons, quoting The Verge. On April 3rd, Citizen Lab published its report describing how Zoom's encryption schemes sometimes use keys generated by servers in China. That could mean, in theory, that Chinese officials could demand Zoom disclose those encryption keys to the government. Zoom CEO Eric Yuan said in the rush to add server capacity to meet the massive need for Zoom during the COVID-19 pandemic, quote, we failed to fully implement our usual geofencing best practices and that it was possible that, quote, certain meetings were allowed to connect to systems in China, end quote. This wasn't the intended behavior and that the company had corrected the issue, according to Yuan, end quote. Meanwhile, Bleeping Computer is reporting that credentials for more than half a million Zoom accounts are currently being sold on the dark web and hacker forums, often for less than a penny each. Quote, these credentials are gathered through credential stuffing attacks, wherein threat actors attempt to log in to Zoom using accounts leaked in older data breaches. The successful logins are then compiled into lists that are sold to other hackers. Cybersecurity intelligence firm Kybel told Bleeping Computer that around April 1st, they began to see free Zoom accounts being posted on hacker forums to gain an increased reputation in the hacker community. These accounts are shared via text sharing sites where the threat actors are posting lists of email addresses and password combinations, end quote. Microsoft Teams has some new features for you, including the ability to show as many as nine people on screen during a video call at the same time, a la Zoom. Currently, you can only have four participants on screen at any one time on Microsoft Teams calls, while Zoom allows as many as 49 users on screen at once, and Hangouts in G Suite supports up to 25, quoting ZDNet. Support for nine people on Microsoft Teams video calls will roll out by the end of April, a Microsoft Teams engineer said on its user voice site. Over 40,000 people have upvoted a request for more on-screen faces. Microsoft appears to have accelerated development of the ability to put more participants on screen, which was scheduled for May. The Teams engineering group is also working to increase the limit even further. However, Microsoft hasn't said how many on-screen users it will support or when it would increase support beyond nine users, end quote. And a quick update on Amazon. Remember how they were looking to hire 100,000 workers to deal with the deluge of new business thanks to stay-at-home orders? Yeah, well, now they're looking to hire an additional 75,000 workers on top of that. And their temporary ban on third-party sellers being able to ship non-essential items via the Amazon platform has now been lifted, hopefully indicating that they are beginning to be able to actually manage the increased demand, quoting the Wall Street Journal. Last month, Amazon made a decision to prioritize at its warehouses those items deemed essential during the coronavirus outbreak, such as cleaning products, healthcare items, and shelf-stable food. Amazon stopped accepting shipments of items from sellers that didn't correspond to the shopping needs of consumers hunkering down during the pandemic. The mandate caused unrest for its army of third-party sellers, which accounts for 58% of Amazon's sales. Sellers of items unrelated to health, wellness, and cleaning will be able to send inventory to Amazon later this week, but there are limits on how much they can ship to ensure there is warehouse space for essential goods, people familiar with the matter said. 
Amazon confirmed the plans, quote, Later this week, we will allow more products into our fulfillment centers, a spokeswoman for the Seattle-based company said. Products will be limited by quantity to enable us to continue prioritizing products and protecting employees, while also ensuring most selling partners can ship goods to our facilities, end quote. And a look at the state of VC in the time of cholera. I mean, in the time of coronavirus. According to PitchBook, and NCVA reports VCs invested a total of $34.2 billion in 27% fewer deals in Q1 of 2020 as compared to a year ago in the same time frame. But quoting Bloomberg, 62 venture capital funds raised a total of $21 billion in the U.S., according to data gathered by PitchBook and the National Venture Capital Association. That cash puts them in a strong position as the economy weakens. In 2019, firms raised $51 billion for the full year. As an added buffer, VCs reported a total of $121 billion in committed but unspent capital as of the middle of 2019, the latest numbers available according to the NVCA. But while the biggest firms have announced large new funds, first-time VCs have found themselves in a more difficult position. Just nine funds launched by managers hanging out their own shingles for the first time raised $1.1 billion last quarter, the report said. That's on track to fall short of the 49 or more that set up shop in each of the last three years. New funds also made up a smaller chunk of total VC funding raised so far this year than in years past. As shelter-in-place mandates continue to dictate business practices, part of the problem at the end of last quarter, and at least the start of this one, is that the first-time fund managers aren't able to travel or meet investors as they seek to raise money. Name-brand VC firms may be able to streamline the fundraising process, wrote the authors of the report, and limited partner investors might be more inclined to invest in a firm that's already famous, without first meeting the general partners face-to-face. Four funds of over $1 billion closed last quarter alone, including a $3.8 billion fund from Tiger Global and a $3.6 billion fund from New Enterprise Associates. So-called mega-funds made up about half of the total raised. The report credited, The ability of established managers to secure large sums with relative ease by tapping into the long-standing relationships and consistent demand from investors, end quote. And finally today, the ESRB, the organization that rates the content of video games, has announced a new label for games that offer in-game purchases of loot boxes or other similar items. The label is actually simple. In-game purchases, no letter-based coding, but includes random items, in parentheses below that, quoting The Verge. This new interactive element, in-game purchases, includes random items, will be assigned to any game that contains in-game offers to purchase digital goods or premiums with real-world currency, or with virtual coins or other forms of in-game currency that can be purchased with real-world currency, for which the players don't know prior to purchase the specific digital goods or premiums they will be receiving, i.e. loot boxes, item packs, mystery awards, according to the ESRB. The label will be applied to loot boxes, gotcha games, item or card packs, prize wheels, treasure chests, and more, the organization said. The new label will sit below the game's content rating. The ESRB originally introduced the in-game purchases label in February 2018, but that label was broad enough that it could be applied to any game that offered any sort of viable digital good, including non-randomized items like subscriptions, season passes, or upgrades to disable ads." End quote. 
So as promised, here are the first of the job openings at tech companies and startups as passed along by some of your fellow listeners to this show. Bot Society is a venture-backed startup based in San Francisco, and they say their how creative teams worldwide are reimagining the future of AI. You can join their sales team to help them expand their customer base, which already includes the likes of Google and Air France. They are looking for an account manager. The position is remote limited to the Pacific time zone anywhere on the West Coast. I've got a link to the job description in the show notes. And you can email info at botsociety.com for more info. Also, Zenly is hiring in Paris, France. They're looking for mobile software engineers, back-end software engineers, 3D artists, and product managers. They're open to starting remotely, and they offer relocation packages for people who are abroad. Find out more at zen.ly slash jobs. That's zenly slash jobs. Again, link in the show notes. Talk to you tomorrow.